0: Well, good morning! It is so awesome to see you guys both in this room and online, and we are excited. If you're new to Northland, this is a great weekend to be here because we've been involved in this series from a passage in Luke's Gospel, and today is the culmination of it. So if you liked Spark Notes when you were in college and not having to read the whole book, this is your weekend for this series. But before we dive in, I want to thank you guys. Arlene and I both want to thank you for your partnership. Last week, we were over in Austria. Every fall, I serve on the faculty of a Bible school for uh, a a week uh, in Austria with college-age students. We looked at the life of the gospel together, and they send their greetings. I'll talk about that a little bit more later. But thank you for the elasticity of Northland. It's been part of our DNA to not just be here, but there is well in both and. Now, as we are going to have some time today to practice what we've been talking about for the last two and a half months, we're going to begin with a reading from God's Word, and guess who's going to do that reading? You. Let's stand together. Scripture exhorts us to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture, among other things. And there's something about reading a text out loud, even when you're alone, because it's, it slows us down, it causes us to think through it. And so, this morning is not a passive time, it's an active time, as is the case with every weekend. But with this text, engage with it. Our vision here is engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus. Part of that is engaging with the Word of God together. And so, whether you've seen this text, Ten times over the last two and a half months, or this is the first time. I want you to read it. Pay attention to the, the vibration of your vocal cords and the resonance of your heart. With whatever you might be dealing with right now and difficulty, and maybe it's a crisis that's causing busyness or something fun that's causing busyness, it's time to be still in his presence. So let's read. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from. Keep letting those words ricochet around in your heart. This is a text about sitting at his feet. And as his people, we're going to sit at his feet together today. And when you sit at his feet, it's not passive, it's active. So as you're sitting down, whose feet are you sitting in the presence of right now? You're sitting before Jesus. Keep that in mind and be seated. We're calling this series Calibrate, sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's what happens when you sit at the feet of Jesus. There's something that goes on that's transformational when we're actively engaging with Him. And we're using the word calibrate, and there are a lot of ways to illustrate it. One of my favorite is ancient compasses and mariners' compasses, especially need to be calibrated. Is before the age of GPS, you'd have a compass, and periodically you'd need to calibrate that compass on a magnetic true north and making sure that it's giving a right reading. So when I'm calibrating at the feet of Jesus, I'm bringing the compass of my heart, and getting it realigned with true north. And this isn't, hey, nice thing if you got some time, calibrate. There's a lot riding on your and my willingness to engage with the calibration of our own hearts. There's a lot at at stake. It was back in January of 1914. I didn't say 2014. 1914. Off the coast of Virginia in the dark waters of the Atlantic, sailors refer to it as pea soup. It's a fog. It's a dense fog, that is very dangerous and unsettling because you can't see more than just a few feet past the the bow of the boat. And there was a, a steamer called the Monroe under the leadership of Captain Edward Johnson. And he was going carefully, paying attention, everything was going as well as it could with that low of visibility until out of nowhere on his port side there appeared a merchant vessel called the Nantucket under the leadership of Captain Obran Berry rammed him. Rammed Captain Johnson's ship. Tragedy occurred, 41 sailors lost their lives. In the ensuing investigation, The need for a hearing arose because of all the different factors and the loss, the drastic loss of life, especially at at that time. It was delayed a bit by another shipwreck known as the Titanic, uh, Titanic that you might have heard about in April of that year. But after the Titanic, uh, the uh, uh, tragedy passed. Congress did this hearing, and they wanted to uncover what happened. So. They put Captain Barry on the stand, and but then they brought Captain Johnson. Again, he was the captain that was of the ship, of the Monroe, that was rammed. And it was going to be a cursory exam, but just finding out, not that long, turned out to be five hours long. And the reason is something was unearthed and discovered in their investigation and questioning, and he was very open about what he had been doing, and they started going through more and more details. And it came out that he had been captain of the Monroe for over a year and had never calibrated the ship's compass. It was off minimum of two degrees. And the New York Times reported that that changed the whole course of the investigation. Now, all of a sudden, it wasn't the person who was captaining the ship that rammed the Monroe. It was the captain of the Monroe because he was off course, because he had failed to calibrate his compass. And the New York Times painted a picture afterwards of these two burly captains and seafaring guys sobbing in one another's arms. because they had been involved in something that both of them felt culpable for. Calibration is not just a nicety, it's a necessity. And so what I want to invite you to do is one more time, calibrating our heart's compass at the feet of Jesus is something that happens every day, numerous times a day. It can be five minutes, five hours. It's a rhythm of our lives. Jesus lifted up Mary, even though Martha was doing something really good, and rebuked Martha gently, but still firmly, and said, Martha, you need to learn from Mary. And in our words, she was doing what's right. She was calibrating her life's compass and direction with me. So what we're going to do is go through those nine disciplines. I'm just gonna mention them. We spent a weekend on each one over these last two and a half months. But I wanna invite you to do something. Bring up a heart hurricane that you're dealing with. Maybe it's just a squall or maybe it's a storm or an outright hurricane, but something could be relational. It could be some kind of stress point maybe that's potential or that you're under the weight of. It could be financial, it could be a spiritual attack, it could be something that's going on in terms of your health or a relationship with one of your kids. But bring it to the forefront of your mind and heart. And you're not just going to sit there and listen without applying. Have this front and center, and let's go through these disciplines. It's going to involve us doing some more singing, musical liturgies where those words are coming out. We're going to intersperse teaching and worship throughout the service a little bit differently. But it's you not dealing in theory, but dealing with what you're actually encountering right now by way of a storm in the midst of which you need your heart's compass calibrated. So you got the storm in mind. Let's go. Deal? Deal? That wasn't a deal. Discipline number one. In the midst of our storms, we're tempted to get more busy, to do something. And Jesus affirmed Mary for her stillness. Stillness is choosing to be still at the feet of Jesus. Jesus. Being still, Psalm 37, 7, th- Psalm 37, 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Don't fret when you're looking around, hey, this isn't happening in their life, doesn't matter. What's going on in your life right now requires being still. That's not passive, it's active. Waiting upon the Lord is necessary and it's very active, but it's contrary to what we want to do. We don't want to be still. We don't want to be alone. Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician and philosopher, also a follower of Jesus, he said this, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. The reason that Captain Johnson had never calibrated is he didn't want to take the time to take that ship to a still harbor and adjust it saying, hey, it'll be fine. And that stillness happens in a posture, second discipline of submission. She was at his feet. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. That wasn't a lack of furniture. It was a posture of submission. To sit at the feet of a rabbi was to say, I'm going to submit before you. I'm going to listen to you. She humbled him herself, read about another pilot of a vessel about 25 years ago. Varig Airline pilot down in Brazil, took off for a short 45-minute flight, but he entered the wrong coordinates into the equivalent of the, uh, the plane's compass. Instead of two, setting 270, uh, two he entered the setting 0270, so he ended up going the opposite direction, and he didn't want to admit his mistake. when The, the passenger started realizing something was wrong, uh, air traffic control. He wouldn't humble himself. Ended up crashing, costing tons of people's lives. But saying, Jesus, I need you. I want to be submissive before you. You're the author. I'm not. You're the creator. I'm the creature. We tend to say we can be resourceful. Sooner or later, we will come to a point where there's something that we are not resourceful over. You and I don't even have control over the next electrical impulse that will cause our heart to beat. And so what Mary was doing is being still with a submissive posture and saying, Jesus, I want to listen to you. So there was silence, which is the third discipline. We know she was silent because she was listening to what he said. So silence, quieting ourselves before him. Psalm 62, verse 1 talks about being still before the Lord, being silent in His presence. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. For God alone, O oh, my soul, wait in silence. My hope is from Him. So there's that aspect of silence. Now in the submission, it's coming before me and say, Jesus, I need help. And that's prayer and intercession and petition. But so often then we're, we think, okay, I'm done. I've told Him, no, no, now let's be silent quiet everything. And for us these days, a lot of that involves putting our phones and our technology aside. read an article about an experiment at the University of Missouri where they were testing dependence on technology and they got 41 students who had volunteered to do this experiment and they all had iPhones. That was a requirement that the researchers didn't say that's what they wanted. We want to make sure they all had an iPhone, and they were saying they're going to be testing their their interaction with technology and so forth. They, so they put blood pressure monitor, heart rate monitor, test their stress. So they had them do word search puzzles. Their phone sitting right there. Then the researchers said, "Your phone is interfering with the blood pressure technology, uh, and so we're going to need to take your phone and put it over here on the other side of the room." And you know, so they did that, and the students, you know, would watch their phone be taken 25 feet away. Two things they discovered. And then they called the phone. The researchers called the student's number. And it's ringing over there and they're having to stay here. Two things they discovered. While the phone was over there, it distracted them from the word search stuff. So they weren't able to do it. But then when the phone rang, blood pressure, heart rate shot up, anxiety levels increased because of the phone separation anxiety. This is actually a thing now. What's the first thing you and I do in the morning? The temptation is to grab the phone instead of the word. So it's Scripture that we listen to, which is the fourth discipline. Listening to the words and the teachings of Jesus, because there's stuff going on in our lives that only He can speak into. John chapter 6, Jesus' disciples were sitting in front of Him and a number of His other larger group of disciples were walking away. People weren't being able to stomach the teaching and say, boy, he's raising the bar a little bit too high. So Jesus, in John 6, 67, says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Jesus asked the 12, and Simon Peter had answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You, and the Greek there is emphatic. Basically, it's you alone have words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is not a nicety. It's a necessity. All of us live under the illusion that we're capable of getting ourselves out of any difficult situation sooner or later. And the preference is sooner when we acknowledge we're we're clay, we're not potter. And we need him to speak into. Yes, we can continue to be innovative and competent. But we're doing it in a posture of submissive intimacy with Him, being still, being silent, being submissive in the presence of His Word. And that heart hurricane that you brought up a moment ago, the temptation is to be running in fear, running in stress, coming up with your own scheming. Why don't you let it fade away right now? And let's tell Him that. Let's say, Jesus, in submissive stillness, we're going to be silent in the presence of Your Word. And we lay down all our stuff. What brings you stress? What is it about that storm? that you're and that heart hurricane that's making you tremble, when I'm at His feet, all of a sudden I realize I'm not the one who should be trembling here. The darkness should be. He makes that fallen darkness tremble, which begins to lead me into a fifth discipline of pursuing shalom. Shalom is, we talked about stress relief. I didn't, Steve, weren't you delighted to hear Steve Brown, some of you for the first time last weekend, to hear him talk about this stress relief, to say that Jesus has got this. Talking about how in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, don't worry about what you eat or what you drink or what you're going to wear. The lilies are clothed fine, sparrows are taken care of. He's got this. And it's at His feet I start realizing He's eager to help me calibrate. He's not berating me to come calibrate. He's inviting me, summoning me with authority, but to be still in a submissive way and silent to hear His Word. And then that shalom starts to come in as as I share my trembling with Him. He gets our frailty. Back last week, when Arlene and I were in Austria, people have asked if I taught in German. I said, No, unless I learned speaking tongues, I wouldn't be able to do that. But obviously, in stores and shops or whatever, engaging with people, German's the language in Austria and Germany, obviously. And I don't know what it is. Why don't I look German? Why don't I look like I belong in Germany. I'm not sure what it is. I wasn't blending it. I'd walk into a store or a restaurant and they're speaking German. They look at me and immediately start speaking English if they can. Like I'm not even going to waste my time. But every now and then there'd be somebody that would speak German and then I would try to say something to them. And there were two reactions, two categories. One are those that were saying, or you could just tell by their nonverbal, are you kidding me? Let's not waste your time or mine you trying to say that. They'd immediately shift. But then there's another category. They'd be just worth their countenance. You could say they were, you could tell they were honored to hear me even attempting to speak in their language. So often we're reticent to come to his feet because we're thinking, he doesn't want to hear about this hurricane yet one more time. Yeah, he does. He says, talk to me. I got this. Let's turn the trembling person, let's turn what trembles, let's move from you to the storm because I've got authority over this storm. Really, Jesus? I've come to you about this several times. He says, I've got it. I love you. Zephaniah, the prophet Zephaniah, says, the Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior. He comes in, makes the darkness tremble. He, the mighty warrior saves. He will take great delight in you. In His love, He will no longer rebuke you, but He'll rejoice over you with singing. A little rendition of the Hebrew there about take great delight in you. He, quiet, he will quiet you with His love. Now, how does He do that? Is it, his, is it just His care and his compassion? He is caring. He is compassionate. But it's not just that. He's coming because He's coming to deal with the root of the storm, which ultimately, whatever you're dealing with, maybe it's job or marriage or finances or temptation or whatever it might be, something at work, the, all the stress that we deal with are, are, are little tributaries that come from this great reservoir of... You and me living in a sinful world, our sin, the sin of this world, a fallen world. That's why the cross makes a difference. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 says, in Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the what? I want you all to read that word out loud. The what? Riches. riches. The riches of his grace. Not he's not coming saying, are you kidding me? Okay. Doling it out. Not just bare minimum. The riches, in fact, goes on to say that he lavished on us. The Greek word there is perisuo. It means abundant, overflowing knock out the sides, blow off the ceiling, it's get a load of this. The grace that He lavishes on us, grace is given, it's not what we deserve, but what we need. And we to come to Him humbly, not abusing that, but to begin responding with all wisdom and understanding. Part of this calibration process is me making sure, yes, I'm coming because of the storm, but I'm also coming in submissive stillness listening to His Word, and receiving shalom in the presence of my sin. And so as a result, the altar, which is what that table is, it's not a place where my religiosity is refined. It's a place where my humanity is restored. Because it's the cross that deals with the root of whatever storm I'm dealing with. So what is it? What is that storm you got going on? Let it fade away. We're going to finish strong because what begins to happen is we begin to move into our lives. A hinge point is the fifth discipline of sacrificial choice. So silently, and am submissively listening to His Word and Him speaking shalom into my sin, confessing my need, confessing my sin. All of that happens based on what Jesus said about Mary. With Mark, He said, Martha, you need to understand something. Mary has chosen what's better. She made a choice, sacrificial choice. The reason we say that is because saying yes to the way and the truth and the life of Jesus. For every yes in your life and in my life, there's a no. I don't say yes to something without saying no to something else. So when we say yes to both sitting at the feet of Jesus, we're saying no to other pressing things with our schedule. When we're saying yes to following Jesus, we're saying no to those other things that would lure us, that would lure us. Nobody drifts in to obedience. Nobody drifts in to discipleship. Nobody drifts in to the way and the truth and the life of the Gospel. It's a sacrificial choice. Joshua, in Joshua 24 verse 15. He's right at the end of his life, he makes this proclamation, he says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose, choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we're choosing to serve the Lord. You see, that storm we all have default idols that we go to. In the midst of the storm, it's e- we're going to worship someone, something. If it's, If it's Jesus, that's the choice. And Mary was choosing, saying, I'm going to still myself in the presence of the storm. What are the go-to's? I mean, if it's a storm of maybe a an insecurity about whether I'm going to be provided for, I might opt for covetousness. Or if it's a storm of insecurity about who I am, I might opt for the idol of gossip or slander. If it's a, if, if it's, if it's a storm of uncertainty and just stress, I might opt for pain relief or maybe literal medication. The list goes on and on. Joshua's saying, as for me and I, part of the calibration is to say there is n- nothing else that's going to address this storm but you. So I'm making the sacrificial choice. And the hinge point is then I begin to move. Not from the feet of Jesus. Not like I leave in my living room and say, we'll see you tonight. He comes with me. But there's this this posture of now throughout my day making sacrificial choices with a posture of that, that, that sixth discipline of stewardship, of surrender. Where I'm saying, I'm giving you everything I got. It's yours. All that I have, John Cortinas walked us through that on Labor Day weekend. When I get up from at the feet of Jesus, it's not a matter of, hey, Jesus, I want you to speak into my life and just help me with calibration. Oh, this stuff over here, you can't touch. Uh, but you know, my, this, this storm I got, yeah, it, no, it's, it's all yours. I'm making the sacrificial choice and I begin to move with a sense of stewardship, which will lead to a single-mindedness in my cadence, a focus, seeking Jesus not among all things, not just when it's convenient, on a Sunday morning when my favorite team's not playing because they got beat on Thursday night, and uh, have, or your favorite team got beat last night and it's convenient. No. Above all, all the days of my life, Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing, David says, I've asked of the Lord. Doesn't mean that that's all I do in a monastery somewhere. No, it's just in the midst of my client meetings and my recreation and my grieving. It all comes underneath a submission to Him. One thing I ask, so there's a dependence from the Lord, this only do I seek, so there's diligence there, that I may dwell as a sense of permanence. I'm not just dabbling here in the house of the Lord all the days, all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of His enoughness and His glory and His worth, that He's got this, and to seek Him in His temple. Read an article about a, a kinesiologist who's who refers to elite athletes having a quiet eye. She said, what distinguishes elite athletes? She hooked up all these monitors to some professional golfers, and there's their quiet eye, meaning their ability to quietly focus on one thing and let everything else be subservient to that one thing. David's one thing, Mary's one thing, our one thing, and it's renewed moment by moment throughout our lives, throughout our days, to say, Jesus, I want a single-minded to pursue you, and then culminates with that ninth discipline of being sent that Pastor Sean talked about last week. I'm not just here. You're not here just in here to feel better. We're gathering here to have our sin forgiven, to have our priorities refined, our hearts calibrated, to be sent to the uttermost regions of the earth. Looked at the, he looked at the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me, Jesus said, so go and make disciples. Go be life givers. Go proclaim Jesus' way, His truth, as life. Be sent. Clarify His call on your life. You've got a calling. You've got a calling. I've got a calling. And at the feet of Jesus, that calling is calibrated. It, it, it's refined. And I realized that I'm, in, I'm aligned with you, and I'm aligned with other followers of Jesus on the other side of the world. Uh, right before I left for Austria, I, I asked our staff to, to greet the students at this Bible school and tell them they are praying for them. So I played the video of that to the students at... at in Austria, and they said, we want to do a video back. And so I took a flyer last night and said, let's just put those two side by side of sent followers of Jesus who, who spend time at the feet of Jesus and end up being calibrated regarding their roles in the kingdom, speaking encouragement into one another's life. I thought I'd let you take a look. (laughs) It's a, it was such a cool thing to be for me to have a split screen in my mind of here sent people in Florida and sent people in Austria. There's only like three Americans in that room, and they were from other parts of Europe. Then there's another couple, by the way, who joined, uh, came to audit that week. And the reason they did is because they are part of Northland. For the last couple of years, they've been online with us, Marion and Klaus. And if you're watching, uh, know that we love you. And they were in the back. And it's part of us being sent and engaged all over the world. Some of you haven't heard any of that. If you're new here, you're wondering, what in the world am I holding? And this is what we use at Northland. People aren't paying attention. They used to. um, No, we started this journey with Melville's harpoon. He wrote Moby Dick, and he says a harpoon is best thrown in the, the beginning at the front of that 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 boat that's going after the whale, not out of exhaustion, the harpooner needs to throw out of quietness and idleness, being calibrated. You've got a harpoon to throw, so do you, so do you. Every one of us has a good work to do in the name of Jesus, fruit to bear. John chapter 15, Jesus makes the proclamation. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and feel better. Mm -mm. So that you might go and bear fruit. Throw your harpoon. What's your role in the kingdom? What's yours? Fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in My name the Father will give you so it's to be in His name. And this is My command, love one another. So guys, we're embarking on this year together. We've all got harpoons to throw, and as a community of His people, we have a harpoon to throw. We throw it out of quietness, out of being still at the feet of Jesus, submitting before Him, listening to His Word. Being men and women of shalom, of wholeness, of restored, redeemed and restored life with our sin being addressed, and therefore walking with a cadence of sacrificial choice every day seeking first His kingdom. With a sense of stewardship of our time and our abilities and our finances single-mindedly going after him and realizing when I get up from the feet of Jesus, I'm getting up as somebody who's been sent to throw his or her harpoon. You've got roles to fulfill here at Northland. Northland has a role to fulfill here and around the world. Let's live as sent men and women in the name of Jesus going and bearing fruit.